Amen. All right, well, we are continuing in the study in the Gospel of John. We're going to uh, study John 5, verses 19 through 29. And I've titled the message this morning, That All May Honor the Son. That All May Honor the Son. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and, and we humbly submit ourselves to you and to your word. Lord, your word is what is the sanctifying reality in our life. Lord, it is what you use to conform us into the image of, of Christ. And I pray that you would do it here today. That as we dive into these beautiful words, these amazing words that Christ is speaking I pray that you would press these truths into our heart at a deep level here today. And God, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever needed to clarify something? I tend to do that a lot because I talk a lot. The more you talk, the more you have a need to clarify you ever watch somebody, whether they're a politician or a famous person, they say something, or I should say they tweet something, and then all of a sudden it blows up on social media, and then it's on the news, and then it's all over the internet, and then they need to clarify what they really meant by what they tweeted. They need to clarify, because they got some negative backlash because of what, was, because of what they said, because of what they tweeted, because of their opinion, and and the, the words that they said, and, and I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus doesn't have to clarify his tweets. If he was on Twitter, whatever he said needs no backtracking. He, needs, he doesn't need to figure out how he can say it better or different so that it is appealing and people receive it. He just speaks truth. He tweets truth. If he was on Twitter today, he would tweet truth 24-7. He needs no clarification. This is what we see in this text. Jesus doesn't back down from the shocking statements that he made to these religious leaders of the Jews. And if you remember where we left off last week, Jesus had healed a lame man that was at the pool of Bethesda. He was lame for 38 years and he heals this man, tells him to get up, take your mat and go and walk. And the religious leaders of the Jews were upset. Do you remember why they were upset? Because of the Sabbath, he had healed this man on the Sabbath and they had taken the Sabbath that was created for man as a way to honor God and to, to, to have a day where they're not doing their ordinary work and they had created, the Pharisees had created 39 extra stipulations to add to the Sabbath and one of them was that they would not carry any goods on the Sabbath and so they, they looked at this man who had been lame for 38 years and the only thing that they could see was that because he was carrying his mat that he had been breaking the Sabbath and they could not see the amazing miracle that this man who was lame for 38 years now could walk. He could walk to carry his mat. He could only for 38 years lay on his mat and they were completely blinded to this and so they rebuked this man and the man didn't, didn't know who it was that healed him and they asked him, he said, I have no idea but, but I'm not the one who had the idea to break the Sabbath. It was some other guy, the guy who healed me and so Jesus, if you remember, he revealed himself to the man and the man was in the temple and he says, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you and, 
And now that the man who was healed has knowledge of who healed him, what is he going to do? Is he going to worship him? Is he going to thank him? Is he going to praise him? Is he going to acknowledge who he is and the power? No. What does he do? Hey, Pharisees, religious leaders, do you remember you asked me about uh, who healed me and, and influenced me to break the Sabbath? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And Jesus obviously gets confronted by the religious leaders. And what does he tell the religious leaders? He says, my father is working until now, and so I am working. And what does the text say after Jesus makes that shocking statement of of making himself equal with his father? Not only is he declaring that the father, Father God, is working on the Sabbath, he's working to do good, He's saying that I am a part of that, of that work. Me and the Father are working together. We are one. What, did, what does the text show us from last week? He says this is why they were seeking all the more to kill him because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to backtrack? He's going to say, oh, I went a little too far. I said a little bit too much. Maybe I shouldn't have worded, that, worded it that way. You're misunderstanding me. Uh, Jesus doesn't backtrack. And the text we're going to look at today, he didn't just backtrack. He doubles down. He doubles down. And he digs his heels in. And he reiterates. And he explains a little bit further. And he begins to declare even more reason why that they should understand that he and the Father are one. That he is God. He doubles down. You know, many people and entire religious systems have a false view of Jesus. They just have a completely false view of Jesus. Even some religious systems have, uh, they, they will claim to believe the Bible about Jesus, but they don't listen to the words of Jesus. And they say that he's less than God. They say he is one of many gods, or they'll, or they'll say that he became a god. But you cannot read the words of Jesus and get anything other than the reality that Jesus is the eternal God, who has the same power that the Father has. And only does and says what he hears and sees his father do. So in these 11 verses, it's the double down effort of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are rebuking him for breaking the Sabbath. They want to murder him because he's making himself equal with God. That's what they are saying. They see it. They, they, They are not misunderstanding Jesus. They are thinking that he is making himself equal with God. So, so. He's just going to let them know, hey, just in case you're confused, possibly, let me tell you a little bit more. And in these 11 verses, Jesus makes it abundantly clear to these angry religious leaders and to us today that he is nothing less than God. And he should be honored as such, that all may honor the Son. So the the, the main thought that we're going to look at here today, the main, if you were to distill it down into the main point of this message, it would be this, that Jesus is much more than a prophet or a good teacher. And he is nothing less than the eternal God who has the power to judge and to save. This is the point of this text in, in, in John 5, 19 through 29. He is nothing less than the eternal God who has the power to judge and the power to save. And he says this in this text that he, he has the power to save, but he also has the power to judge. And he's been given that power from his father. This is what this text will bring out. And the way we're going to frame it today is we're going to say only God. There's some things that only God can do. Only God. 
only God can do this and only God can do that and, and only God deserves certain things and only God. So there's three things that only God should be associated with. And here's the first one straight from the text. Only God can save and Jesus is the Savior. Only God can save and Jesus is the Savior. Look at the text, John 5, starting verse 19. The double down effort of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the, not the backtracking effort of Christ. The doubling down on the reality of who he is. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Wow. So profound. These things that Jesus is saying. He starts off with truly, truly. Truly, truly. What does truly, truly mean? It means this, verily, verily, amen, amen. It means listen closely. It means pay attention. It means listen. If you were confused the first go around and you, had, you wanted to kill me, let me give you even more ammunition for your gun. Pay attention. Listen closely. This is the solemn truth. The solemn truth is this, that I only do. This is what he's saying. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. The Father loves me and shows me all that he is doing. He is doubling down. He doesn't back down from his claim about him and his Father. In, in John 12, we see Jesus saying again, we'll, we'll look at this when we get to John 12. He, Jesus says, for I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Whatever the Father does, I do. And he shows me all that he's doing. Whatever I say, it is because he is saying it. We are one. So the question from this text, Jesus is saying he only says what he hears and he only does what he sees from the Father. So what is the Father saying and doing? That's a good question. If Jesus is only doing and saying what he sees and hears the Father doing, then what is the Father saying and doing? Well, the answer to the question is to look at Jesus. If you want to know what the Father does and what the Father says, what eternal God, the eternal God does and says, look at God in the flesh, who is Jesus Christ. What did we see in the life of Christ? What did we see? You remember Philip, one of the disciples of, of Christ? He asked Jesus, can you show us the Father? If you will show us the Father, it will be enough for us. This is all we want to know. And Jesus looks at Philip and says, have you been with me this long that you still are ignorant and you still don't understand? If you have seen me, you've seen the, seen the Father. So many, many people have asked questions about who God is and what God is like, who is God and what God is like. And, and I think that the greatest answer, if somebody asks you who is God and what is he like, just say the name Jesus. It's Jesus. You want to know who God is like, what he is, what his character is like, what his nature is like? You want to see his compassion? You want to know what God thinks and feels? Look at the Gospels. Look at the life of Christ. Look at Jesus. And so if Jesus is the answer to what God is saying and what God is doing, what do we see in the life of Jesus that reflects the heart of the Father? 
So if we're to look at Jesus to know who God is, what do we see in the life of Christ that reflects the heart of the Father? Only God can save, and Jesus is the He's a savior. Our God is a saving God. The heart of the whole life of Christ is that he came to be a savior. So if you want to know who God is, then look closely at the life of Christ. And Christ was born to die so he could become a savior. He was born to be a savior. So in, in, short, in a short definition, who is God? He's a saving God. He came to rescue. He came to save. He came to deliver. Jesus came to save because God is a saving God. Jesus says here in John 5, the Father, notice he says the Father has the power to raise the dead and to give life, and he has given the Son this same power. And he's not talking, though he could be talking about raising the, the physical dead, and we see Jesus did that. But he's talking about spiritual death. And we'll see that as we go further on in the text. But he's talking about the power to raise the spiritually dead. And we see this all over scripture that God is the one who saves. He is a saving God. And only he can save. Look look in Isaiah. Isaiah 43 verse 11. says, I, God says, I, I am the Lord. And besides me there is no savior. Isaiah 45. Verse 21 says, and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a, and a Savior. Some people think, well, God's just a judge. He's just a judge. Yes, God will judge, and he's given judgment over to the Son, as we'll see in this text. But God is a Savior. Turn to me, the Lord says, and be saved. All the ends of the earth, turn to God and be saved. For I am God, and there is no other. Our God is a saving God, and Jesus is the Savior. You know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What does verse 17 say? For God did not send into the, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Our God is a saving God, and Jesus is the Savior. If Jesus had come to condemn, all of us would be toast here today. We'd all be done. We would be without hope in this life if God had come to condemn. Because why? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are guilty. None are, in it. None are innocent. We've all gone our own way. We're like sheep led to be slaughtered. If God had come to condemn, there was a lot of, there was a lot of condemnation that needed to take place. But Christ in his incarnation, God in the flesh, God becoming man, Christ in his incarnation came to save. That's a shouting moment. That's a hooting and hollering moment. That's a running around the building moment. That's the waving your hat moment. He came to save, not to condemn. Amen? Okay, okay. You're not clapping for me. You're clapping for the Lord, Right? I've got a question for you. When's the last time you went to the doctor? You know, it had been 16 years I had not been to the doctor. Estelle was pregnant for this strapping young man on the front row. Pregnant with Joel. Ellie? thought it was Joel. I've always been saying Joel. Whatever. <sighs> 
But my appendix started getting a little fussy 16 years ago. And so I had to go get my appendix out. And you were pregnant with Joel. It was Joel. Okay, whatever. So my appendix was flaring up and I had to go and they took my appendix out. And that was the last time I went to the doctor. And so I had a need to go to the doctor in January. I went to the doctor and he started, started poking around and examining and drew blood. And, and what, what did he do after he did all of that? He came up with a diagnosis. He looked at my blood. He said, you're low on iron, buddy. Wow, you need some iron pills. So I've been on iron lately. And, and, and he, he made his diagnosis. And, but but here's, here's where I think us as Christians, we, we, we forget that God is a saving God. We forget that he's in the business of saving. We like to play the doctor and we like to diagnose and we like to look at all the issues in our world and the people and the sinners and their situations and we can quickly make a diagnosis of those, oh, they really need Jesus. I'll make the diagnosis. But how often do we forget that we have the cure? If you're a believer here today, residing on the inside of you is the cure, is the cure for their sickness, which is an eternal sickness. It's leading to eternal death. It's their separation from God because of their sin, because of their sin nature, because they've rebelled against God. And may we not forget that God is the cure. His cure is his son. So we're good at making the right diagnosis, but we often forget we have the cure. You know, the truth is, is that we cannot save anyone. God simply uses us to share his cure, his saving plan. And he takes care of the rest. We communicate. We offer the cure. We often offer the message of the salvation. Of salvation through Christ. And God does the rest. I love what Pastor Shane Scott shared at the um, Bibles and Bacon men's Bible study yes, yesterday morning. He was talking about salvation and the gospel. And I love how he articulated this. He said, this is my paraphrase of what he says. Salvation is not a lifeline, but is a resuscitation. It's not a lifeline. People aren't alive out there trying to claw their way up to God and they're just alive. No, they're dead. We don't, we're not throwing out a, a um, life raft. Hey, climb onto the la- right life raft in your own good works, your own effort. Climb up to God. Let me throw you this life raft. No, Jesus dives into the water, pulls the dead person out the bottom of the ocean and breathes his life into them. That is salvation. That's what it means to be born again. To be born again means you are dead first. Ephesians 2. For we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God has made us alive in Christ. Amen? Jesus tells those that are motivated to kill him. Hey, I gave you ammunition. Here's a little bit more. Not only do I work because my father's working but I have the power to save my God has the power to save my father does and he's given me that same authority only God can save and Jesus is the savior the first thing we see from the text these shocking words of Christ let's keep going in the text let's look at the second thing that only God deserves look at John 5 that all may honor the son Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death 
to life. So the second, only God, is this, that only God deserves the highest honor. And Jesus is the worthy one. Only God deserves the highest honor. And Jesus is the worthy one. I don't know if we fully understand how shocking these words were for these religious leaders of the Jews. Look back at the text. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He's looking at these people and he's telling them they know what he's saying. They're saying he's the Son and and God is his Father. And he's saying if you don't listen to my words and obey and you don't honor me, you really don't honor the Father. That would have been so offensive to them. Because in their mind, they honor Yahweh. They honor. They would not call, first of all, it was another offense. They would never call God Father. He was Yahweh. They had nothing of this idea of a personal relationship. And Jesus is calling God Father. And he's saying that if you don't honor me, you're not honoring Yahweh. They knew that God didn't share his glory with anyone. Look what Isaiah 48 says. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For, for how should my name be profane? My glory, I will not give to another. Except the son. Right? So they, they knew that God didn't give his glory to anyone. Except when God becomes flesh. And so this is why it was so shocking to them. You're saying that if we don't honor you, that we're not honoring God? So, so the question I have from this is how do we properly honor God? The text tells us exactly how we properly honor God and how they could have properly honored God. He tells them by listening and believing my words. To properly honor God is to listen and to believe the words of Christ. That's how we honor God. God, Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and he's saying to them, you cannot honor God rightly because you are not honoring me. You're not honoring my words. You know, scripture throughout the gospels speak to this, this equality, this unity, this honor and this unity and equality between Jesus and the father. We see it in John 15. What, what does Jesus say? He's speaking of hatred from the world. He says to his disciples, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now that they have no excuse for their sin, whoever hates me hates my father also. Hate Jesus, you hate God. Honor Jesus and you will truly honor God. This is what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. You see also, there, there, there's a day coming when all will honor Christ, either willingly or unwillingly. Look at Philippians 2. Starting in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on Christ the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God shares his glory with no one, but he gets glory when the Son is honored. Isn't that powerful? Willingly or unwillingly, everyone will bow and declare Jesus as Lord. There is no neutral ground concerning Christ. There's no neutral ground. You either are for him or you are against him. If you are not with him and for him, then you are not with him and you are actively against him. This is what Jesus shared. This is why it's so confusing. You look around the world today and people try to make Jesus into something that he was not. 
They try to have him say things that he never said. There's no neutral ground with Christ. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's a Lord. Because he made it abundantly clear who he said he was. You know, I, I think some people would look around today and they would say that we're not a religious society today. I think we are a religious society. I think we're very religious. You know, and the most popular religion today is what I would call the religion of tolerance. The religion of tolerance. I didn't see myself. I didn't know I was going to be on the... I'm, I'm on there every Sunday. Okay, I'm sorry. Squirrel. Okay. The religion of our world today is the religion of tolerance. But, but tolerance, if you really understand what I guess a true definition of tolerance would be, is tolerance is, is you can do what you want to do, I do what I want to do, and, and I'm not going to make a judgment against what you're doing, and you won't make a judgment against what I'm doing. Leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That's kind of a traditional view of tolerance. But the religion of tolerance today, as concerning in particular religion and faith, is that it's basically saying that all religions are equal. That no one is more right than someone else. All are right. So here's how the religion of tolerance works. You want to worship a cat, and you want to worship a dog, and you want to worship a tree, and you want to worship nothing, and you want to worship just list, fill in the blank or whatever you want to worship. You worship Christ, you worship Muhammad, you worship this, that, and everything, anything in between. You worship whatever you want to worship, and you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and nobody's wrong. All religions are equal. All roads lead to the same destination. Everyone is right. That's the religion of the day. Everyone is right. No one is wrong. Everyone's right. No one is wrong. I love what the Christ-centered exposition commentary says, we live in a pluralistic society, a society that promotes the equality of all religions. But God makes it clear. Why? Because Jesus makes it clear. Any system of worship that does not honor Jesus Christ as the one true God is from hell. And it is a lie of Satan. No, no, you may not like that, right? People may not, it, there, there could be even some Christians that don't like that because they've been, they've been indoctrinated by the religion of tolerance today. They've been indoctrinated by the culture and the culture has squeezed out of them the truth of the word of God. So you may not like it, but it is what Christianity is because this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus spoke when he walked the earth. He made it abundantly clear. What did he say? Look back at the text. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So how should these shocking words of Jesus impact our life today? Here's, here's how I think they impact us. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we properly honor the Son? Do we properly honor Jesus? Does our life reflect the heart of a person who honors God. So the way we answer those questions is to answer another question. Here's the other question. Have you bowed your knee to Christ and confessed him as Lord? Because that's the only way to properly honor the Father. is to honor the Son by bowing your knee in confession of Jesus as Lord. That's what Jesus said in John 5. Did he not say that? 
If you hear my words and believe my words, that's how you honor the Son. So the way, that's how you honor the Father, is to honor me by hearing and believing. So the way to properly honor God is to believe the Son, to bow your knee to Christ. Joshua 24, 15, what we read earlier, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. It's your choice. Who are you going to serve? The gods of your fathers, the gods of the culture, the gods of sex and the gods of money, the gods of pluralism, the gods of idolatry that your fathers served in the region beyond the river and in Egypt, the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell in? Or are you going to bow the knee and make the declaration as God's people did in Joshua 24, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's how you honor Christ because Christ made it clear that that's the only way to honor him. We don't honor him by just saying he's a good teacher, by just saying he was a good prophet, We honor him by declaring him as Lord, the one true God, only God. Only God can save. Only God can save, and Jesus is the Savior. Only God deserves the highest honor, and Jesus is the worthy one who came to save. And the way we give him worship and honor is to bow the knee to him. Okay, let's look back at the text. Continue. Jesus' conversation, he just, he, again, he just keeps, he's tripling down now. Like he's just gonna, he's gonna go over the top as he continues in this text. Look back at John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, starting at verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is speaking of eternal life. This is speaking of salvation. He says, the hour is coming, but it's here now. It's here now. Why is it here now as he's speaking? Because he's there. Salvation is possible wherever Jesus is. There's a future thing that's coming. We're going to see in the text. But he's declaring that salvation is available now. Even to the ones that are listening to him speak, it was available if they would repent and believe in his words. As he said earlier. Truly, truly, I say to you, hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, as he said earlier in verse 24, and believe, they'll live. For as a father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority. He's given, he's saying, God's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It's not yet, as he said earlier, but it's coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So only God, third thing today, only God holds the authority of eternal judgment and Jesus is wearing the robe. Only God holds the authority of eternal judgment and Jesus is the judge. He has the robe of the judge. This is what he's saying in this text. Jesus is speaking to two realities concerning the authority given him by the Father. He speaks of two resurrections. The first one, as I told you, is a resurrection to new life in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, if they hear his words and they believe them, they're a new creation. The dead will hear the Son of God and live. The second resurrection, verse 28 and 29, after he says God's given him the authority to execute judgment, He says, here's what that judgment's going to look like when I execute it. 
There's another resurrection that's coming. He says it is coming that will lead either to eternal life or to eternal judgment. Jesus boldly declares that the Father has given him the authority to execute judgment in verse 28, 29. They're speaking of a future resurrection when Jesus returns and he calls out and those in the tombs will rise. And those who have died will rise to resurrection to eternal life or resurrection to eternal judgment. Only two options. So all of us live forever. All of us live forever. And Jesus is making a strong declaration that you will either live forever in heaven, eternal life, or forever in hell, in eternal judgment. There's only two possible destinations. And notice what he says, verse 29. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of of judgment. Good life, evil, judgment. Good heaven, evil, hell. So what is the good that leads to life and the evil that leads to judgment? Because certainly we're not talking about good works saving us. We know that's not scriptural. What is the good? Verse 24 gives us the answer. Truly, truly, we said it earlier. I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and has not come into judgment. The good, the ultimate good is to believe in Christ and his word for salvation. The evil, the ultimate evil of this life is to reject the only provision for salvation. Good and evil. Good receive Christ. Evil reject Christ. Good of receiving Christ leads to salvation. Rejection of Christ leads to damnation and eternal separation from God. You know, this biblical reality of sin and judgment and hell is not an easy subject to talk about. I I, I wrestled all Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and normally I'm done by midday on Friday with my message, but I had to come back in on Saturday because I just, I, I just, my heart, I knew where I was headed. I knew where the text was headed and I knew what Jesus was saying in John 5 and, and I don't like the doctrine of hell as much as you don't like the doctrine of hell. None of us should be like, that's a great doctrine. I love that doctrine. That's an uncomfortable doctrine because you know what it, it says? It reminds us that not everyone, scripturally we see not everyone is gonna go to heaven. And there will be some that will spend eternity in hell and that should leave us unsettled. And our heart should impact us deeply. It should not be something we pass over and there's many, it makes us uncomfortable so we don't preach on it. This is one of the things verse by verse preaching it does. I mean, if if I wanted to, I could have just passed over the text but then you would have been like, why'd you pass over 19 through 29, Pastor Ben? Right? No, we're just gonna, we're gonna, because, we're going to read it. We're going to explain it. We're going to teach it because it's true. It's true. You know, there's many who won't even touch on it. They won't speak of it. There's some churches and pastors who won't preach on hell or judgment because it's not an easy thing to hear, but you really can't preach much in the Gospels if you preach about Jesus and avoid the subject of hell. I just want to show you this. Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. Here's a little bulleted point list. Jesus says it is a place of eternal torment. You see that in Luke 16. He says it's a place of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43. He says that in hell, it's where the worm does not die, Mark 9. Where people will gnash their teeth in hatred of God, Matthew 13. 
from which there is no return to warn loved ones, Luke 16. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25, comparing it to Gehenna, Matthew 10, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. The truth is, when you study the Gospels and you study the messages of Christ, Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. And he describes hell more vividly. And there's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. So my question for us here today is, will we readily listen to the positive realities that flow out of salvation, but not the ones that make us uncomfortable? Will we be eager to hear the messages that keep our focus on how to navigate this present life, but not, not understand that this is a, a huge part of why Christ came, this is the reason why Christ came, was to save us from our sin and the punishment of eternal separation from God? This is the crux of Christianity. So here's, here's what I'll say, that the benefits of salvation are primarily centered around our eternal destiny, not our temporal reality. And this is what Jesus is pressing into the, the, the hearts and minds of these religious leaders. They are, they are thinking he's a blasphemer and they want to murder him and kill him. And he's pressing in and he's pressing in and he's saying, if you don't believe me and my words and you truly don't honor the Father, and there will be a day when the Father will give me the authority to execute judgment. And if you don't believe me, you have eternal judgment. But if you believe me, you can have eternal life. This is what he said in John 5. Think of Think of that. Jesus evangelized and witnessed in ways that, that we struggle to. Right? He looks at these people who want to kill him. How about you do that one day? Somebody who really hates you, go and sit down with them and say, I just want to warn you that if you don't repent and believe, you're going to go to hell. This is what Jesus did. They thought all the more to kill him. And he says, hey, I got some more ammunition for your gun. If you don't believe me, you will die and experience eternal judgment. Wow. So so the benefits of salvation primarily center around our eternal destiny, not our temporal reality. And Christianity today has flipped that on its head and has made Christianity all about temporary realities. So what about our temporary reality? James 4, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. You don't know when forever starts. You don't know when when your life will end. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This fleshly life appears for a little while like a mist, like a vapor of smoke, and it vanishes. It's gone. Appears for a little time and vanishes. A little time. Our life is but a little time compared to what? Eternity. Eternity. Do we believe in eternity? Do we believe that from the moment that we were conceived, that we are created for eternity? From the moment of conception, an eternal being is birthed. Do we believe that? 
the beginning of eternity. And, and this life, this fleshly life we live, it's but a little time compared to eternity. A little time on this earth compared to eternity. So I want to illustrate it for you. I want to give you a visual for that. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to successfully do this or not. So this rope represents forever, represents our life, and it represents forever, right? So I'm going to do my best. I tried this pre-service. It didn't go very well. So you guys get the point. But let's just imagine that this is forever, right? So this rope doesn't get knotted up here. It goes all the way down the aisle, all the way out the doors. It, it goes out the doors, out the street. It goes on through 11. It goes, it, goes, it, goes, it goes on forever. It doesn't stop. This is forever. This is eternity. This is our life. The moment we're born is the beginning of eternity. And this is our life. Can you see the red tape? Can all of you see the red tape? This is our life. This is eternity. This represents our life. Our 50 years, our 60 years, our 70 years, our 80 years. 90 years, right? 120, right? And what does the world say? The world says, live it up now. The world says, live for now. Live for now. Don't think about this. Don't think about forever. Don't think about eternity. Don't think about anything other than now. And so what do we do in this life? We, we go to school, we go to school, we go to school, we go to school. Then we get a job and we work and we work and we save and we save and we save. Notice I'm, I'm getting, you know, the end is here, right? So I'm getting closer to the end. We work, we work, we save, we save, we save, we save, we save. We retire and we're too tired to do anything. And we accumulate all of our wealth and all of our finances to retire and have fun. And we've got 10 years, 20 years, 25 years left. But the truth is, is that this day, you see what I'm saying here? The end of the, of the red tape, this day is coming for all of us. And the truth is, is that the way we lived here will impact what happens here. And this is forever. This began forever. This continues forever. But when we get to the end of the tape, there's only one of two destinations that is possible for any of us. It's either eternal judgment in hell forever or eternal life with Christ. And so what the world does to us is it presses into us such a self-absorbed reality. We're the most, one of the most distracted people throughout, I think, all of human history. I think Western society is. And they press into us, live for the moment, live for the now, live for what is in front of you, live for the pleasures of this life, live for the temporary, live for the temporary. And, and on the other side of the end of the tape is the reality of eternity, but don't think about that, don't dwell on that, just think about now, be distracted now. We have a, a TikTok attention span. You know what TikTok is? Most of the videos there are 10 to 15 seconds long. That's about how long most of us want to think about deep eternal matters. And that's what the world is pressing into us is to have that type of mindset, live for the now. So the question is, is will we spend our time distracted with Christ and his beauty? Or will we spend our time distracted with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Some of you may not even know who Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is and the, the defamation trial that's going on. I'm probably a little too, too distracted. 
right? But it's all over the news. You can't help but see it. You know what I think about when I think of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? I think about this. Two people living for now, living for this moment, addicted to drugs and sex and pleasures, living for the moment, and and the whole world gets to watch what it looks like for two human beings to not think about this, to not think about eternity, to only think about the pleasures of the moment, and we get to watch, and we should grieve in our heart at at the effects of sin on a man and on a woman, and what it does when we only think about this life, this short, brief life, and we don't evaluate eternity. May we spend our short, vapor-like lives here on earth thinking deeply about the eternal realities that await us. So where did we start here today? Where did we start? Here's where we started. Jesus is much more than a prophet or a good teacher. And he is nothing less than the eternal God who has the power to save and to judge, to judge and to save. That's where we started. That's where we end. And if this is true, and I believe it is, if this is true, it should change everything about how we live in the red tape. It should change everything about how we live. It should change everything about how we, what we focus on, what we give our attention to. So this is, this is the call of Christ. This is what we see in this text. He's looking at those who want to murder him, who, who want him dead, who, who think he's a blasphemer, and he, he keeps pressing and he keeps pressing. He's saying, you are only looking at the fact that I broke the Sabbath. You are only looking at temporary realities, and I'm trying to tell you that there's something greater on the other side of me breaking your regulation. There's an eternal reality coming and the way in which you will truly honor the Son and enter heaven and eternal life is to honor me. And it is the only way. It is the only way. It's the, message of the, it's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the cross. It's what we should declare. It's what we should prioritize. It's what we shouldn't skip over. It's what we should double down on. It's what we should declare to a world full of Johnny Depp's and Amber Heard's. There's so much more to this life than cocaine alcohol, relationships for temporary pleasure. There's satisfaction in Christ. There's beauty and glory and peace. Amen. Amen. Would you, would you bow your heads? I want to ask you a question here today. There may be someone here today. There may just be one person here today. That knows that they've been evaluating the red tape of their life the wrong way. They've been evaluating their short stay on this earth the wrong way. And they've not been evaluating through the lens of eternity. And you realize in this moment that you've been going to the wrong wells for satisfaction. And that you've not truly followed Christ. You may be religious. You may have a religious tradition. A church attendance. But you've not 
become a believer and a disciple of Christ. And you want to do that today. You want to confess Christ as Lord today. You want to repent and believe. If that's you, could I see your hand? Is there anybody here today? Just by way of hands. Just thank you. Is there anybody else? By way of hands. You would say that that's me. I want to believe in Christ and confess him as Lord. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Anybody else? Amen. Well, I I, want to pray. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And if, if you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, You can confess Christ today. Would you pray with me? Father, I I thank you for all those that were here today. I thank you for this reality for the believer, God, that, that we would see the reality of what Christ has said and may it shape the way we live our Christian life today. That if these eternal realities are true and we know that they are, that we would not live distracted between the red tape. That we would live with the focus of what really matters the most. And I pray for those here today, those that raised their hand and those that didn't, but, but, but know that they've not confessed Christ. I pray that today that they would believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that you've raised him from the dead. And God, I just thank you for all that you're doing today in our lives. I pray that you press these realities deeply into our hearts and may it shape the way that we live here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you, if you raised your hands here today, we, we want to talk to you. We have a book we'd like to give you. You can make your way. You can, as you leave, go through the foyer here. You can go to the welcome desk and let them know that you made a confession of Christ today. We'd love to see you. We'd love for you to get water baptized, to go public with that declaration. I love you. You are dismissed.